Welcome back to another episode of the Abide in the Word podcast. We are your hosts, Lauren Dick and Mike Hovland. Today's topic, we'll dive right in here. Today's topic is a difficult one. It is one that has created a lot of issues. And again, once again, we're seeing ourselves based with what we would consider a lot of overreach in the part of the government, and in this case, quite a sinful area as it in regards to biblical sexuality, homosexuality, and what has come to be passed in our country, in Canada, as Bill C-4, which makes criminal conversion therapy well um yeah i guess with that we can just get right into this uh what we want to do today is just kind of talk about beat uh c4 and um talk about this uh, explosive new bill that the government has passed what it is uh, what it means for pastors and ministry in canada and then just kind of talk about you know what what we think our response should be and then also just just kind of look at, at what scripture says a little bit. So it's just kind of an introduction to to the bill and and to kind of what what we're doing uh, as a as a local church and even even kind of broader pastors and and um, ministers in Canada. Yeah, and there's a lot of different angles to look at here and and the bill itself, what it covers, and obviously the biblical implications that it may have to churches, to pastors, to podcasts, to any form of Christian um, teaching, counseling, all those areas could be potentially impacted by this. And just by way of introduction here, a fellow Canadian blogger, Samuel Say, put out a blog post regarding conversion therapy, and it's called Canada's Conversion Therapy Ban. And he just makes some interesting notes in there, and I would recommend anyone listening to this to go to his blog site, which is called slowtowrite.com, slowtowrite.com. Dot com, And he has a short article there, and it just kind of highlights some of the uh, things that we'll be discussing today as well, and also gives us some ideas to why this is important and really just the state of Canada, Christianity in Canada. And I, to quote him, this is because Canada isn't a post-Christian nation. It is an anti-Christian nation, meaning it isn't conservative nation either. Canada is also a post-conservative nation. Canada has a federal party that calls itself Conservative Party, but we do not have a Conservative Party. Not anymore. They are Conservative in names only, end quote. And it's really, even with the uh, recent election that we had in Canada for the federal party, we would often kind of say that, you know, basically our options weren't Conservative versus Liberal. It was Liberal and Liberal Light. In, in a lot of ways, the Conservative Party of Canada and really conservative politics as a whole in Canada has become conservative in name only in regards to often maybe economic opportunity. When it comes to social issues, abortion, homosexuality, biblical views of marriage and those things, we really don't have a conservative government in our nation anymore and haven't for a long time. Yeah, yeah, I, I would just totally agree with that. And, and you can really see that in the way that this bill passed. And and I just got to say, like, I don't really know very much about politics or how things should work or usually work. But apparently the way this, that this bill passed, it's an unprecedented pushing forward. Is that the right way to say it? Pushing forward of, of the, the bill, passing it through the House and the Senate without any of the normal debate, discussion, critique. There's, a, there's normally a process by which laws are are kind of checked and, and argued for and clarifications made and all of that was was bypassed by the conservative party and 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 not just bypassed but like 
bypassed with cheers and hugs uh, apparently in the in the congress I, did you see that lauren i didn't see the video but also reports that i've read that do state that right the uh, not only did a conservative mp make the motion to fast track the bill it was a conservative member of parliament that made a motion to fast track this bill through there wasn't one dissenting voice either from all the conservative mps which are the member of parliament in the house of commons there was no conservative voice that stood up and debated this there was no conservative voice that opposed the way this bill was pushed forward in fact again they were pushing it through and as you said to the reports that it was erupted with cheers and hugs which once again is shocking considering how dangerous the coronavirus is and you aren't supposed to be touching anyone right yeah yeah you see the the hypocrisy there um <clears throat> here's a here's a response that one of one of the pastors in canada got from his local mp this is actually from like the uh, advisor of this mp and uh, he here's the response he says thanks for the feedback i'm not i'm not actually sure if and i'm just going to leave the name out he was in the house at the time or not and that that is at the time of the vote but it's likely he he was since he was it was right after the question period nevertheless i certainly understand your disappointment as the Bloc, the NDP and the Liberals, which are the, the three other parties in Canada, all indicated their support for this legislation, there was no doubt it would pass. Liberals wanted to make a big political scene about it and use it to divide Conservatives. We decided not to let that happen. So again, I can understand your frustration, but there was absolutely no way this bill would not have passed. We decided to have it be fast-tracked so we could tackle issues like deficits, inflations, and unchecked spending by the Liberals. These are issues that the, the Liberals do not want to talk about, which is why they put up C4 for debate. So in, in other words, you know, we, we realized this bill was going to pass, so we didn't even go through the normal process, which, which again, is unprecedented in Canada. The, uh, one lawyer was saying, not even just like for any bill, but especially a criminal bill which a criminal bill is kind of the heaviest club that mm -hmm. that society can use so any thoughts on that lauren well just in and even in regard to the uh, response that i got when i reached out to our own local mp and he responded via email late last week and he says although i support the efforts to ban conversion therapy properly defined this is not what C4 does. Had there been a regular recorded vote with proper notice on Bill C4, I would have voted against. I have serious concerns about the lack of scrutiny on Bill C4, which have been raised by politicians across the political spectrum. I was prepared to fight to fix the definition, just as we did in last Parliament. And he goes on and talks about some of that stuff. But he says, going forward, I will be working with parents, pastors, and legal experts to develop legislation that protects parents and faith leaders ability to have conversations with individuals who are voluntarily seeking counseling and advice. And so with something like that, I'm, I'm thankful for that approach. I'm thankful that our local MP, who does seem to be uh, a legitimate uh, born-again Christian from, from what I know, but again, it just shows, you know, when one of the most conservative Christian members of parliament that we have in our country can't even speak out against it, it, it just really just affirms what we said conservative politics in our nation is dead mm -hmm. there's there's no way for these for these men to truly stand up for truth and to stand up for what is right and it's something that we need to acknowledge and i think it's important for the church to acknowledge that because this is the nation we live in we don't have 
friends and allies in the government. We, we may have a few individuals that we could consider that, but... But even none of those individuals stood up for us this time. And that, so now he's going to, he's saying, oh yeah, later on we'll do legislation. This is the legislation. This was the time. You, exactly. you totally dropped the ball. Fight it, oppose it, and, and not just say, well, let's let it get in and then we'll do what we can to fight against the definitions later. It's the end of the day. We've never seen something like this. It, it doesn't get easier. It's, it's always harder. It's, it's, you know, fight, fight these fights early on. Yeah. And even if it costs you your political career, if it costs, you know, it's the same argument we've had for the last two years regarding leaders like Jason Kenney, who we all know behind closed doors speaks against a lot of what's going on. And as one MLA told me to my face, that Jason Kenney is aware that 50% of the information he's getting from Alberta Health Services is misinformation. And yet in front of the television, he speaks as though it's all real and it's true and it's stuff. And well, if, and when he was in La Crete last summer, he had mentioned to some local politicians and friends of mine that had he stood up for what he believed, he would have lost his job. Well, sir, that, that's the face of courage. Though it costs you everything, you stand for what is right. In fact, I would point to a few local pastors that he liked to deride in our province here and say that's what it is, though it costs them jail time though it costs them separation from their family at the hands of this so-called conservative government, they did what was right. And that's what these political leaders need to look at, especially the ones that will continually stand up and say, we're conservative, we're on your side. Then do what's right, but it'll cost me my job. So be it. And we'd vote for you. <laughs> we, we would <laughs> you know? support you, but not just that. You will stand before God one day and say, you know, God, I know this was right. But I didn't do it because it would cost me my job. And I know you wouldn't have wanted me to sacrifice any of my personal comfort. No, that's, we all know that's false. Yeah. But really, it also does point to, let's just be honest, that a lot of these men in politics that do profess to be Christian just simply aren't. Jason mm -hmm. Kenney professes to be a Christian. He's been one of the most anti-worship, anti-church, anti-God lying hypocrites we've seen on television in the last year. Literally everything he has said and promised, he's gone against. And rather than even apologize for those things, he just makes excuses and lies his way further out of that. Mm -hmm. That is something we have to remember in regards to whenever we deal with something like this political, is we're dealing with pagans. We're dealing with men who, though many of them even profess God, they hate God. And, and they've learned just to do whatever is, is pragmatic, beneficial to them at the time. Absolutely. And, and it gets us nowhere. And so, yeah, I, I, anyways, I'm... I am not a politician, and uh, <laughs> I, I just despise all, all of that kind of political maneuvering and stuff. Yeah. Just have some backbone and believe something, and, and let's stand for it. Yeah. But there's a, there, and there's a sense in which people have kind of that idea where we can't stand for what is true now because we won't get anywhere. So we allow these things to creep in so that we can kind of grab the bull by their horns later and deal with it once we're once we're in the door. The problem is, and again, we see it, the doors close. Canada's been anti-Christian for so long, not, not post-Christian. It's been anti-Christian for so long. There is no, I shouldn't say there is no turning back. By the grace of God, there could be. But Christianity in the church has fallen so far, and I think even again the last few years, if we tie back into the COVID pandemic, we see that. Mm-hmm how few churches were willing to stand and how many 
churches themselves were the ones that were deriding and, and mocking and slandering the pastors that stood on the truth of God's word. And so it's not only the politicians that are fighting against the church's right to stand firm, even in the face of, of much cost and suffering and persecution. Many of those within the church are doing the same thing. You know, Mike, it's not a hill worth dying on, right? How many times haven't we heard that in the last year and a half? The James Coates, Tim Stevens, these weren't hills worth dying on. The, the churches that stood firm, I'm not sure that's a hill worth dying on, Lauren. You know, those are the kind of responses people would give. Well, the problem is now we have a big mountain with mm-hmm. this, with this uh, Bill C4. Had we won some of those hills, had more men been willing to stand and shown the government that you have no right to step into the, to the church and dictate matters of worship, then maybe we would, wouldn't even be at the foot of this mountain yet regarding Bill C4. Yeah, mate, who knows? You know, and even, even like uh, I was talking to a, a pastor today and uh, he, was, he mentioned a group of, uh, and I don't even know if I want to call them pastors and I don't know who they exactly were, but a, a group of church leaders or um, religious leaders of some sort who were actually kind of saying like, we're going the extra mile on the on the, the mandates, the vaccine, and they were actually petitioning the government to to kind of join them in their extra mm. uh, strict stance. And and, and it's that kind of like mentality that that's in Canada that uh, you know people who who want to take a stand are just so it's a foreign to our culture. It, it, you know we're we're very uh, polite people. We don't want to <laughs> argue. We don't want to. Um, we don't, we don't want to have any conflict, and so... Uh, and, and it'd be and great it, if we could exist in this world without any conflict, but we all know that doesn't exist, and we see it here, and you know, and exactly in that way, the church was willing to concede to the government so much ground that we're so far behind in this battle, and again, that hill has turned into a mountain, and, and I'm reminded of... Um, your quote, uh, Mike, from your sermon on December 13th, 2020, regarding the issues of the mandates in the government lockdown. You know, the government goes beyond their God-given bounds when they dictate issues of conscience or issues of worship. God himself is the Lord of the conscience and God himself is the Lord of the church. And we've given so much ground to the government in those areas. It seems that there's going to be a very hard battle at this point regarding something like Bill C-4 and conversion therapy ban that has happened and, and how broad that language is and extends into much, and as we'll uh, continue on here today, and we'll see, it, it extends into much of what we would say is just normal, everyday Christian life. Yeah, and, and actually we should get, for our listeners, we should get into Bill C-4 because they're hearing us talking about mountains to die on and hills, and uh, they need to know what we're talking about. So. C4 is an amendment to the uh, criminal code in Canada that uh, adds new crimes, four new crimes. Here they are uh, from, the, from the bill itself. Uh, the fo- it creates the following offenses. A, causing another person to undergo conversion therapy. B, doing anything for the purpose of removing a child from Canada with the intention that the child undergo conversion therapy outside Canada, promoting or advertising conversion therapy, and receiving a financial or other material benefit from the provision of of conversion therapy. So causing a person to undergo conversion therapy, 
taking somebody outside of Canada, a child anyways, to um, to do it out there, um, promoting or advertising this thing and receiving financial uh, or other material benefits. It also criminalizes, and, and I guess this is a, a separate little thing. No, it, sorry, it also gives the court's authority to to seize advertisements or you know anything online or written or promoted video whatever all that kind of stuff could be seized and disposed of or deleted that maybe sounds fine so far because we because we haven't defined what conversion therapy is mm-hmm. and um i i think we want to be right up front early on there's types of conversion therapy i i believe yes. now that they're already Ill- illegal in our country but there's there's types of conversion therapy that that we would definitely not support. Mm-hmm. Um, th- things like I've heard of shock therapies. I don't I don't know even the the kinds of drugs, but like antidepressant drugs. Um, I, I you know honestly I don't even know the the kind of conversion therapy that I want to do is teaching people God's word and and seeing them transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now. Yeah. For me, pretty much anything beyond proclaiming God's word, teaching God's word, and seeing the Holy Spirit transform, I think anything outside of that, I have no interest in doing, and I really don't want anyone else doing that either. Yeah, and and that's something uh, important to make note of, right? That there are things that um, have taken place and probably still do continue to take place that are just cruel, that are that are wrong. Um, the, the the shock therapy, you think of something like that, and. And really, and especially as Christians, as as uh, we lean in on the sufficiency of God's word, we also understand that homosexuality or, or any form or derivative of it comes from a sinful heart, a sinful nature, sinful desires. And so the cure is the gospel. Mm-hmm. The cure is God's word, right? So that is our approach, and that is where our concern is as well, as, and as we continue through some of the wording and the language of this bill, is how those things could be deemed criminal at this at this point mm-hmm. with with this bill moving forward. So maybe we'll just read it and then we'll go through it line by line. Yeah. So the definition of Bill C four conversion therapy means a practice, treatment, or service designed to change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual. B change a person's gender identity to cisgender. C Change a person's gender expression so that it conforms to the sex assigned to the person at birth. D. Repress or reduce non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior. E. Repress a person's non-cisgender gender identity. Or F. Repress or reduce a person's gender expression that does not conform to the sex assigned to the person at birth. Okay, so first of all, it's it's a practice, treatment, or service designed for one of those uh, six things. Now, mm-hmm. a lawyer on a on a, a Zoom call today <clears throat> with a bunch of pastors, he he said when it when when the law doesn't specify or or give any kind of extra details, when it says a practice, treatment, or service, it really means any practice treatment or service and th- and that's really how broad this bill is you know the kinds of things that could come under a practice praying for somebody to change that's a practice you know that's a, a great service that we could do for mankind 
biblical counseling would obviously come into that preaching yeah how about a how about a podcast how about just reading the bible to somebody and it it makes them change their uh sexual orientation or even you read the bible to someone and it causes them to feel offended because of the wording of homosexuality condemned in scripture yeah and now you're you're doing something to either change or repress or reduce a person's uh, non-heterosexual attraction and and there's like so many things coming into my mind I want to say about this but you'll notice right away that it's just, it's a, this is a one-way direction mm-hmm. towards what I would just call uh perversion yeah you know perversion of of God's creation design we're going to talk about God's creation design but in in fact right after that it says for greater certainty, this is a quote from the bill, for greater certainty, this definition does not include a practice, treatment, or service that relates to the exploration or development of an integrated personal identity, such as a practice, treatment, or service that relates to a person's gender transition, and that is not based on the assumption that a particular sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression is to be preferred over another. If somebody wants to do something to change a person's sexual orientation towards homosexual or towards lesbianism or towards transgender, those kind of exploratory developments of an integrated personal uh, identity, those are permissible under this bill. But if I believe that those practices are sinful, then I I have kind of... Well, I've committed a crime. Yeah. And like we're talking, well, I don't want to tell the, 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 the times yet, but we're, like we're talking mug shots, fingerprints, jail time, and extensive fines. The, the, the wording for advertising conversion therapy is placed under the same section as posting child pornography online. Yeah. That's, that's how the, the government views this. And I don't know for sure if the jail times are equivalent. I'm, I, I'm I, not quite sure, but I do think they run in, in correspondence with what section of the criminal code they fall under, right? And so they would be similar, at least the, the, the thinking would be similar in that way. But it's, again, it's important to note that conversion therapy becoming illegal, banning conversion therapy, um, just even in the title and in the name of that, the government is exposed in their hypocrisy again because it's only speaking about converting someone from uh, a biblical or from a non-biblical view to a biblical view. It's not speaking about someone, you know, encouraging a child to explore their femininity if they are a male. No, that's fine. Mm-hmm. And if a, a young boy says he wants to be a girl, and 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 you encourage them to do that, and even to the point where you convince them. There's no wording against that. Like giving drugs and like, yeah. yeah. And in fact, I heard of a, a case referenced by someone else today. Two 15-minute sessions with the doctor. Two 15-minute sessions with, with the doctor. And uh, now I don't remember if it was a man or a, a young lady. It was a young lady. Uh, a young lady, uh, two sessions with the doctor. And after those two sessions, she was put on uh, a hormone transition thing mm-hmm. uh regime and um i think it was like a year later just a, like a young girl i'm thinking like 15 16 years old you know a year later and her breasts were removed and it's mm-hmm. just like two well, and you can do that that's totally legal that's that doesn't break any yeah. laws but 
and and even like you know other kind of luring of 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 people into that kind of a lifestyle seems like it would be allowed but if i as a as a as a bible believing christian i'm going to do something to to say you know you need to repent of your homosexual lifestyle you need to repent of your lesbian lifestyle or your queer lifestyle and understand the way that god has made you and turn to him to worship and and love and serve him uh that's going to be a crime yeah and and again a practice praying biblical counseling preaching sermons conversations yeah. are now are, are going to be illegal it, it, or at least the bill is broad enough that they they could be could deemed be. right absolutely yeah. and 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 that's where we really have to focus on the idea that okay backing up a little bit here we mentioned earlier there are forms of conversion therapy that we oppose mm-hmm. things that we would see as abusive <clears throat> harsh cruel uh to the person practice on yeah but for anyone on the other side, including Justin Trudeau, our not-so-honorable prime minister, um, and any other politician that supports this kind of stuff, if you're going to vocally, and, and in speaking even to our, our local MPs, our, our, our professing Christian M, uh, MPs like Arnold uh, Vierson and other, other uh, conservative MPs, if you're going to say, no, we oppose conversion therapy but at the same time you've never opened your mouth about the mutilation that occurs to these children where a young boy can have his genitals removed by an adult in a surgery to mutilate these human beings they are the most sadistic people out there the people that are are opposed to conversion therapy because it's mean are some of the most sadistic evil wanting people out there willing to deform and mutilate your child, completely abuse them, destroy them for life. And yeah, sometimes our blood pressure increases a little bit when we think about that. And I think of a prayer that a pastor once said many years ago, you know, we pray for those that abuse the children. We pray for their repentance and we pray for their, for their turning away from their sins. But Lord, if they refuse, we pray that you destroy them before they destroy other children. Hmm. And there is a sense in which that's kind of what we're looking at with this, you know, we pray for the repentance of Justin Trudeau and a lot of these government politicians and these men, apart from them having willfully given up and given over to a debased mind and God gives them over to a debased mind, there came a point where these men knew how wicked and evil this was, but they loved their sin. And so God has given them over to a debased mind. Mm. And so, again, I just think that's important to note that when we talk about banning conversion therapy, there is some very wicked, sadistic conversion therapy that this government still loves and promotes. And and just honestly, like, I don't even, I, I guess I'm just so sheltered. I don't even really know <laughs> about all that stuff. But, and, and, I, and, I, and I honestly, I don't even want to know. Um, yeah. So... There's three things that we can't change. That's a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual, a person's gender identity to cisgender, that is to to change their identity as who they feel like they are on the inside. It's kind of like a, a psycho um what do you what do you call that? Like a psychobabble. Psychological <laughs> uh internal <laughs> feeling or thoughts about who they are, uh as far as male or female or some other 
thing. Apparently, there's there's lots of gender. I have no more idea. of a cognitive therapy in yeah. that way. You know what what their thoughts so are. So if I if 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 somebody feels that way and I try to say no, you have been made a a male or a female, and your body, it, you know, which God created good, uh, your physical body is male or female, and I try to to bring them back to the the gender that they are, so that by biologically, that's mm-hmm. what that's when when that's to change that that that's where that's illegal try to change their thinking or or their feelings based on god's word um the opposite of cisgender is transgender so we i think we know what transgender is cisgender is is kind of who you biologically are the the next one is to change a person's gender expression and that's kind of how they live outwardly you know if there's a man in my church who wears high heels and a skirt you know, if that man comes to me and says, you know what, Pastor Mike, I've, I've had some, some struggles with this and I don't even know how to dress like a man, but I'm realizing from God's word that he created me a man and I want to I kind of live in a manly way. And I try to help him to do that and so that I'm, I'm changing his outward expression of his, of his maleness then uh, towards the the sex assigned to the person at birth, that is, and, and they, they use that assigned language. They don't say recognize, but they say assigned because it, it's, to me, it's just this Gnostic idea of, of gender, right? I, it has, it's like we've separated the body from the, the inside, and you can be something on the, on the, on the outside biologically, a male, let's say, and and yet they don't want to even acknowledge that, so that so they 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 just call it the the sex assigned because because it's really all this this inward feeling stuff. And it does put it as well. It, it puts the blame on someone else, right? It's been assigned to you by someone else mm-hmm. before you were able and willing to acknowledge who you truly were, and so it really puts an onus on the person to at some point have to come to a point in their life where they now must first recognize who they are, who they desire to be what they desire to be, and then make that decision themselves. And now it becomes criminal law to oppose that. Mm -hmm. And then again, in any way, really basically the same categories again. So changing, that's going to be illegal, a practice that would be designed to change them and a practice designed to repress or reduce them in those ways. Again, from non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior. So again, with the heart or with the externals, you know, one, one, one person kind of noted, if we were going to follow this law, let's say, let's say there's a, a man in my church, he struggles with, he struggles with pornography. Okay, well, you struggle with pornography. Well, normally I would just, let, let's take you to God's word. Let's, let's, you know, that you're worshiping something wrong there. Let, let's talk about what's going on in your heart that you desire that, that you enjoy that, that you would you would look at those things, that you would think about women that way. There's there's a lot of things going on that might that might cause someone to to struggle with a sin like pornography. Well, let's say a, a man in my church wants help, and he you know he would recognize that looking at that that the attraction there and the behavior that he's doing is a sin. Well, I would seek to in in his sanctification repress and reduce that those things not by coercive means but by transforming the mind and the heart so that his will changes now if i was going to obey this law i would have to first ask well what kind of pornography are you looking at are you looking at heterosexual pornography or homosexual pornography if you're looking at heterosexual pornography 
I can help you. If you're looking at homosexual pornography, then then I, it'd be illegal to help you. Yeah. And you just see start to see how how ridiculous this law is. Yeah. Even if the person wants my help, it's illegal, yeah. right? Anyhow, when we look at a biblical view of of male and female, we're going to see that this is exactly what we're called to do in calling people to faith in Christ. Uh, we're we're calling them to, among other things, acknowledge who they've been created by God to be, that God is their creator, and they're coming under the lordship of Christ to live their lives for him as, a, as an expression of worship to him. And so I, I'm, I'm doing practices, services. I, I, I don't like to, the word treatment, but I, I'm practicing things and, and serving them in ways that's designed mm-hmm. to do all of these things to, right. so that they become worshipers of Christ, and it's now going to be illegal. Everyone who knowingly causes another person to undergo conversion therapy. So this is from the, from the bill itself, including by providing conversion therapy to that other person is guilty, A, guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for a term of not more than five years, or B, guilty of an offense punishable on summary conviction. So did you catch that? Five years in jail for causing someone to undergo it? Or including providing it. You know, I caused you to, to do it by um, encouraging you to go talk to your pastor, yeah. right? Or encouraging you to listen to the Abide in the Word podcast episode six, is it? Yeah. Um, something like that, right? And so that could be up to five years in jail. Or there's a lesser charge available, summary conviction, which, which is um, uh, up to five thousand dollar fine and six up to six months in jail. I think so. the The court has the the option of how how severe of a mm-hmm. of an offense is this. And you know, it even extends into just promoting or advertising, right? That's that's providing the service or encouraging the service. But if you promote or advertise, and the bill says everyone who knowingly promotes or advertises conversion therapy is a guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for a term of not more than two years or be guilty of an offense punishable on summary conviction. You can spend up to two years in prison for advertising or promoting conversion therapy. Yeah. And again, conversion therapy is not properly defined, so it, it can extend to whatever the, that court or judge at that time deems necessary. Yeah. Um, re- why don't you read that, that, um, the part that t- dis- defines what the advertising is there? The advertisement for conversion therapy means any material, including a photographic, film, video, audio, or other recording made by any means, a visual representation, or any written material that is used to promote or advertise conversion therapy. So like, you know what I think about when I, when I think that of that, Lauren? I think of those nice banners that you made for Grace Bible Fellowship <laughs> that, that says expository preaching, biblical counseling. <laughs> like, you know, there's a, it's a nice little uh, banner, yeah. but it says biblical counseling on there. Well, biblical counseling is designed to help people change so that they can grow to be more and more like Christ. So anyways, I, I think about that. I think about our podcast. I think about our, our Facebook and YouTube page. Now, we're not going to disappear. We're going to be here because somebody's got to talk to people about yeah. the Word of God. So we're not going to back down on this thing. But we're, it, you know, I, I, I knew 
what would that have been like eight years ago when I when I've felt called to ministry and I thought you know uh, God was calling me to full-time ministry I remember wrestling through that thinking you know I'll, I'll likely end up in jail if I go into ministry in Canada and and I think we're here like this is the this is the bill that has us here where it's it's very likely that if the government and maybe they won't enforce this right now well and maybe it's a good time right here to pause and just put a throw a little uh, hook out there right to any non-canadian pastors that are looking for churches to pastor there may be a lot of positions opening up north here uh, in the next little while so <laughs> start getting your resumes ready and it sounds like a wonderful place to come minister right yeah you can you can come and get arrested with me <laughs> maybe we could even share a cell yeah <laughs> and, and and that's the thing and that's that's where we need to get to in, in a lot of these things as as a pastor for yourself mike but but even as other outspoken christians are we willing to die for the word of god are we willing to stand firm? Are we willing to lose our freedoms for the word of God? Are we willing to be arrested for the sake of the kingdom of the Lord? Yeah. And, and that's a question that's easy to ask while we're sitting here and there's no guns pointed to our heads, right? In our nice little uh, recording room and, and doing that. It's an easy question to, to answer, but where the rubber meets the road, as they say, will be when, when we're faced with that time. Mm-hmm. When pastors are being called to to prison for for standing on the word of god and again we've seen that within the last year in our province so it's not way in the future it's not being way out there or or extremist to be talking about that or thinking about that Mm -hmm. it's it's here it's not around the corner it's here yeah and the door's been wide open through this for more of that and and i think back to what our conservative politicians speak of well we'll we'll fight the definition we'll we'll work with pastors and stuff why should we believe that yeah, you because already didn't. Exactly. Every so-called conservative politician in our province who stood up during that time was removed from caucus. The, the conservative governments despise, same as the liberals, anyone who opposes their agendas. Mm-hmm. Even when they know it's false, when they know it's built on lies, when they know it's built on liberal agendas and reset plans and whatever else, they don't care. So we don't have a friend in Big Brother, mm-hmm. per se. Billy is all alone. <laughs> Billy being the Canadian pastor, as per a recent Gospel Coalition article, the pastor who has underground services, outdoor services, in defiance of the government. These pastors are alone in our nation and in our province. And I would make the appeal to any American friends and churches and media that hear something like this on our humble little podcast, by all means, pull out the bullhorns and bring some attention to this because. Our own country isn't. Our own media isn't. Mm-hmm. A lot of our own churches and pastors are doing the exact opposite. They're trying to shut this down too. Stay quiet. Don't fight on this hill. Don't don't battle this. Politicians in in uh, they're not willing to to stand up. They're not willing to fight. But they're you know the encouraging thing and and maybe this will encourage some of our our uh, pastor friends across the world. There are pastors in Canada that are going to take a stand mm-hmm. and uh, and want to take a stand. And actually, there's even a, a planned protest sermon coming up on uh, January 16th. So this bill was signed into law by the, the Queen on uh, December 8th, and it comes into effect on January 8th. Uh, January 16th, Sunday, January 16th, 
there's a um, a nationwide uh, campaign where we're gonna we're gonna preach on biblical sexuality. Multiple pastors across Canada. I was on a, a, a chat today with about I think it was 52 pastors, mm. and there's a, a corresponding chat on Thursday where they're trying to pass the word even further, and we're kind of gonna hold each other accountable to preach on biblical sexuality. And and maybe we'll make some kind of an impact, and and we're we're going no, we we're going to preach God's word. I feel in my own heart, and and you know we'll see if it's if if it's true and good. But I just feel like in my own heart, I'm prepared to go to jail and just do whatever. And and I and actually I've I've even have found joy in it in the last little bit thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> Lawrence got oh. a cough all of a sudden. Yeah, so if there's any pastors out there looking for a pastorate, uh, you can email me. No. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> like, when Mike goes to jail, we uh, will be yeah. <laughs> ready to hire this replacement. But like honestly, I and you know, you know what? It's funny maybe it, having COVID was really helpful in that because I, I couldn't taste or smell for a couple days there and I just thought, yeah, I could do this, right? <laughs> I could do this for the Lord. No no more earthly joy and but just finding joy in the Lord and uh the Lord is faithful. He's gonna strengthen us when the time is is has come to do whatever we have to do for this. But and I, I'm just more and more convinced too that this is God's world, and it, and if the government comes against us, if if really if if the if the whole world comes against us, it doesn't matter. This is this is God's world. It belongs to Him. He has authority. He has all. Mm-hmm. Christ has all authority, and we just proclaim His word, and and He's gonna He's gonna clean it up in the end, right? He's yep. He's gonna deal with His enemies, and we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to. We don't have to back down. We don't have to cower uh we can just stand bold for the lord and uh and he will he will care for us and he will care for us through the persecution or deliver us from the persecution and it it doesn't really matter it's a short time on this world and then we're with him forever so yeah the other the other uh thing that we can get fined for here is um getting any kind of material benefit directly or indirectly from the provision of conversion therapy and and again, that's just so broadly written that if a, a pastor does biblical counseling or prays for homosexuals to get saved and gets a, a financial benefit indirectly from his ministry, and, and part of that ministry includes praying and, and biblical counseling and preaching sermons on biblical sexuality, that's, that's liable to two years in jail. Another thing to address here, the bill in the preamble, and and we've talked a lot about how we feel that this this bill and this this law affects Christianity and how it even seems targeted in that sense. Just some of the language in the preamble is is very telling, and and I quote here: "Whereas conversion therapy causes harm to the persons who are subjected to it, whereas conversion therapy causes harms to society because, among other things, and and here's some very important wording: it is based on and propagates myths." And stereotypes about sexual orientation. It propagates myths. It is within the, the criminal code of Canada now where biblical worldview is labeled as a myth. Yeah. And a stereotype. And a stereotype about sexual orientation. You know, this thing that biology and science has proven for how many years is now 
deemed to be myth. This is the language that that is employed in the Criminal Code of Canada now regarding conversion therapy. Myth, stereotypes. There's there's no absolutes here. It, there's there's no solid ground on what to stand. It's it's a direct attack against the biblical worldview in, in this. And, and really, if you think about this language here, it propagates myths and stereotypes about sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression, including the myth that heterosexuality, cisgender gender identity, and gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned to a person at birth are to be preferred over other sexual orientations, gender identities, and gender expressions. Now, one thing that gets me a little bit riled up when I read something like this (laughs) is just the idea. These are the so-called quote-unquote experts. These are the people that are are determining these things out there. Some of the most anti-science rhetoric comes out of the so-called scientific field. There's a lot of good science out there, absolutely sure. But this kind of garbage, the myth of gender identity, no, that's science, that's biology. But because of their hatred for God, and let's not kid ourselves, it's not about trying to be inclusive, it's not about anything like that. This kind of stuff is driven from man's wicked heart, a hatred of God and the ways of God. Hence why often you'll see on social media, Twitter, Facebook, those places, when progressive churches uh, adopt this kind of thinking, that's why it's easy for true Christians to, to say, no, you hate the God of the Bible. Because that, that's at the root of this. And these people that, that, that deem themselves to be the experts in the scientific field are some of the most anti-science. And so, again, if we tie this back to the last few years with the whole pandemic going on, when people, well, we trust the experts, we trust the experts, really? the same experts that 20 years ago said that by 2020, half the world or whatever their numbers would be, would be underwater because of climate change. You know, the sea levels would have risen so high already and huge parts of continents would have disappeared. None of it's true. That's not science. It's the same experts that say a baby in the womb isn't a living being. These experts are murderers. They're Mm -hmm. willing to murder your child because of their hatred for God's order. Mm Mm-hmm. These experts also state that there's more than two genders. Come on. Yeah, and it's it's just Romans 1, uh, suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Exactly. God has made it plain. It's, you know, I'm I'm thinking like since the time of Christ, the last 2,000 years since Christ, everyone believed that men were male and women yeah. were female, right? Like the, the, There were homosexual expressions which were <clears throat> condemned in the Bible as sinful and all that. Yeah. But this idea that while you're, you know, transgenderism or that a boy can be a girl, a girl can be a boy, again, you know, if these are the experts, if these are the scientific experts, then we, especially as Christians, have a moral obligation, not just, it wouldn't just be wise, we have a moral obligation to question what comes out of that field. Yeah. Because they've shown their intent is to destroy the word of God and the order of God and the things that are holy and righteous and to replace that with wicked vileness that comes from their own hearts. And so we have that obligation to question those things. Not to reject necessarily everything that the medical field gives us or anything, no. But to always approach it with caution and to evaluate and to question and to test these things, which by definition is practicing science. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I wanted to 
plug at some time. I, I preached a sermon about Bill C4, kind of explaining it to our congregation and and uh, just talking about our stand and stuff. And I, I said at that time that this, this preamble in this bill is really a blasphemous thing, that they're, they're calling the truth of God a myth. Really, it's a, it's a war on God and his truth. Mm-hmm. The government of Canada has declared war on the reality of, of what God has created and what he said was very good. And, uh, and now we're going to, it's like a Tower of Babel. And uh, if you remember how that went, um, God judged the world at that time. And, and uh, this, this kind of a bill is going to bring God's judgment on our country. And so even what we're doing here in, in trying to bring awareness and talking about this is, is hopefully going to cause people to fear and repent and turn from this so that the judgment of God doesn't come on our country. Well, that I think it's a, a good time to throw in this quote, also pointing back to the article from Samuel Say at Slow to Write that I mentioned earlier. In the, he says towards the end of that article, Nevertheless, I am not afraid of what Canada will do to Christians. I'm afraid of what God will do to Canada. Canada isn't just persecuting Christians, it's persecuting Christ, and it won't win. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that we take into consideration. These people are against God. Mm-hmm. And if, as Christians especially, we understand how foolish that is. Yeah, right. We, we pray for our enemies. We fear for them. We we don't. I don't want God's judgment on anyone. No. I I want to see Canada be saved. But but listen, just just to keep with the blasphemous here. This is a quote from the bill. Just continuing on. And whereas in light of those harms, it is important to discourage and denounce the provision of conversion therapy in order to protect the human dignity and equality of all Canadians. Which, of course, is just such a contradiction because the dignity and equality of Canadians is something that God has given us because we've been created in his image. So by going against God, you are not um, protecting human dignity. Uh, You are, you know, (laughs) this bill needs to be denounced is really what, what it comes to. Well, that's that's kind of the 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 summary of the bill. That kind of gives you a, a real good sense. Uh, really, almost the the whole bill we've read for you now. And so now we kind of want to move on and just talk a little bit about how should we take a stand? Why why we why do we want to take a stand? Um, what what are we going to do about this thing? And uh, I think you had something you wanted to share there, Lauren. Yeah. Well, in in regards to the question, why take a stand? And even in, in, in how to go from here, and something that we must consider the, the scripture, and it's something, again, that's been a hot topic over the last few years with everything going on with the pandemic and, and the evidence of, of government overreach, and the question as to, well, how do we submit to government, or what is the government's role? What is the purpose and function of government? You know, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 13, same as the Apostle Peter in First Peter chapter 2, both give us the instruction to be subject to governing authorities, right? But they don't just leave us hanging there with the with the command to be subject to governing authorities. There's, I think, clear indication, and there's a lot of teaching in, out there um, on our own church YouTube channel, Grace Bible Fellowship of Lacrete. There's a God and Government playlist. There's four sermons currently in that playlist that kind of address these things. And, and deal with that. So we would point to that as well as many other great sources, pastors in our province, again, thinking of Tim Stevens and, and James Coates, uh, Pastor Aaron Rock in Ontario, 
you know, I, I think Joe Boot has some stuff, but the, the, um, oh, Jacob Rayom, of course. Yeah. Jacob Rayom. There we uh, go. Yeah. He's got some great stuff, and 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 most of those guys have blogs as well that yeah. helpful articles and, and stuff on their church sites, and so that's and and I think from there you could probably find some other stuff as well, and and these are all the the names we mentioned are all men out of Canada, so they're dealing directly and specifically with this, but in in thinking of that, John Murray writes regarding the relationship of church and state, and I think there's some some wisdom in this, and all it's a bit of a longer quote here, but I think it's it's worth looking into. Um, in regards to that relationship with, with the church and the state and, and where what the government's role is. John Murray says, The institution of civil governments is by divine ordination, and it is only because governments have divine sanction that those who govern may exercise this authority and those who are governed submit to it. The civil magistrate is the minister of God, and he is the minister of God for good. Civil government has its own distinct sphere of operation and jurisdiction. This sphere is that of guarding, maintaining, and promoting justice, order, and peace. It is its function to prevent encroachment upon and to guard the exercise of the God-given liberties, rights, and privileges of the citizens, and it must provide against the attempts to deprive the citizens of the opportunity to discharge their divine obligations. Since the civil magistrate is invested with this authority by God, and is obliged by divine ordinance to discharge these functions, he is responsible to God the one living true God who alone has ordained him. So he's saying, having been ordained by God, it is then the government's responsibility to govern according to the revealed will of God. They will all answer to God for the times there where they disregard his word and overstep his ordination that God has given them. Murray goes on, It must be recognized, however, that it is only with his own restricted sphere of authority that he civil magistrate in his capacity as civil magistrate is to apply the revelation of God's will as provided in scripture. If the civil magistrate should attempt in his capacity as magistrate to carry into effect the demands of scripture which bear upon him in other capacities or demands of scripture upon other institutions, he would immediately be guilty of violating his prerogatives and of contravening the requirements of scripture. The role of the magistrate is is defined by scripture. It is not a blanket statement, be subject to the government and now do whatever they say. In fact, John Murray goes on, so when we ask the question, what then is the responsibility of the church when the government fails in its duties? What if the government has become the oppressor? How is the church to react then? And I think that's what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. The government trying to tell the church how to operate, how to worship, who can worship, how many can worship, what this worship is supposed to look like, and now actually criminalizing parts of that who, worship who you can try to convert a- exactly yeah. which which becomes very clearly a gospel issue so what is the church then to do john murray says regarding that question the church is charged to define what the functions of these institutions are consequently when civil magistrate trespasses the limits of his authority it is incumbent upon the church to expose and condemn such a violation of his authority When the civil magistrate fails to exercise his God-given authority in the protection and promotion of the obligations, rights, and liberties of the citizens, the church has the right and duty to condemn such inaction, and by its proclamation of the counsel of God to confront the civil magistrate with his responsibility and promote the correction of such neglect. Hmm, That's great. I think that's so important in something like this. So what? why take a stand? Because we are called as the church, if the church is to proclaim the full counsel of God, 
And the government's duties and responsibilities, in fact, his very ordination as an authority comes from that counsel of God. Then it is the church's responsibility to speak to that, to proclaim the duties of that government, Mm -hmm. of that institution. Because it's the church's responsibility to proclaim the full counsel of God. Therefore, to back away from things like this, especially in a time like this, where where it will be oppressing the church, it is incumbent upon the church. It is a matter of great importance that the church step forward and speak to this and give the government direction. Now, that said, I don't think we're waiting for the government to come sit at the feet of the church and ask for direction, Mm -hmm. and it may uh, result in the arrest and imprisonment of those in the church, but as an encouragement to all within the church. You're doing the right thing. The government will answer to God one day, lest they repent of their sin and their blasphemies and their putting themselves into the position of God in these things. They will answer to God, and he will vindicate, Yeah, and he will judge. I think that's really important. We, we have a role as the proclaimers of God's word to tell the government what they're to do and, and even, even to proclaim to them God's word in this particular situation of, as, as far as mm-hmm. gender ideology, expression, sexual orientation. Our, our job is to tell them how God would have them rule according mm-hmm. to his word. And so that, I think that's really, really important. So, you know, as far as what, what I've been thinking, a quote that really uh, was impactful for me is attributed to uh, Elizabeth Rundle Charles. Now, I don't even really know who that is, uh, but I know she wrote a book on Martin Luther, and, and sometimes um, people attribute this quote to Luther, and I'm not exactly, I haven't dug into who, who really said what, but just listen to this quote, and I think it's right on. It says, If I profess with the loudest voice and the clearest exposition, every portion of the truth of God, except precisely that little point on which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking. I am not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing Christ. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And to be steady on all the battlefields besides is merely flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. And so one of the things that encourages me to, to continue on and take a stand right now is this, this idea that we're in a spiritual battle. This is the point of attack, and this is the point then where we have to stand firm and, uh, and proclaim God's word to this situation. And, and, and also this, this has really, I don't know, moved me, convicted me, um, motivated me, is I believe that, that homosexuality, sexual immorality, is a sin, and a sin that's going to be punishable, as all sins are, right, by God's judgment. Well, if I don't proclaim the truth to the LB, LGBTQ community, if I, don't, if I don't stand for the gospel, if I allow this bill to do what it wants to do and, and silence me, or silence our church, or si- if, if we, Christians, if we allow this bill to silence us, then we are no longer going to be able to proclaim the gospel to these people. And if we, if we don't proclaim the gospel, then they, there is no salvation for them. In other words, we would be condemning them to God's judgment. And so we have to proclaim the gospel. Now, if an individual person is hostile against us, you know, the scripture says, don't cast your pearls before pigs. You know, you, you move on, you, you go somewhere else. 
it, it, I can't coerce anybody, but but neither can I remain silent when when this is the power of God for your salvation is that I would proclaim the gospel to you and call you to repentance and faith in Christ. And if I don't do that, then I'm useless, and I'm I might as well I might as well be dead. So. Um, well, in the Apostle Paul's own words, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Yeah. So the call is very clear when in regards to sinners of all sins, not just homosexuality or the yeah. sexual sins. They must hear the gospel. Yeah. They must hear. And, and who are they going to hear it from? They, they, they're going to have to hear it from us. And uh, they're going to have to hear it. And, and you know, you, you, uh, you kind of backwards encouraged me a few weeks ago, Lauren, when, uh, when you said that, you know, I think I was maybe joking around, I might have to go to jail or something. And you're like, well, you can, you can uh, it'll be a great gospel opportunity for you. And, uh, <laughs> and, and you know, it, it might very well be that the means by which we proclaim to the government what their duty is, according mm-hmm. to God's word, and what the gospel is, is, is through these um i used to call it when i was a, a new christian these divine appointments and <laughs> and they might be that my divine appointments used to be on the street or on the bus or whatever but now it's going to be uh in the in the courtroom and in the jail yeah. cell and if that's where we proclaim the gospel then uh that's a great place to do it too well and and that's it's a reminder of again listening to uh james Coates's testimony after he was released from prison and just the multiple over the course of of the 35 days or so that he was imprisoned the multiple gospel opportunities that he had to share the gospel with with inmates and you just think of the god, the providence of god and and though we hope and pray for his his freedom while he was there he was making good use of that time that god would have him in there mm-hmm. and shared the the word of god and and that's a that was an encouragement to myself and i'm sure many others as well but in in that way to consider these things that wherever you may have us god that we might boldly proclaim your word and through laws like this and the government really what they're doing is is they're tilling the soil fresh for for seed planting in regards to gospel proclamation Mm -hmm. and and the ground will be will be ready because a lot of what they're doing is is they're forcing people into a hopeless state and they're making it a criminal to offer them that hope, which will just force more people into that state. Mm-hmm. And the church needs to rise up at this point and stand on the gospel, the, the true converting gospel, mm-hmm. and, and the freedom that people have in Christ, that their identity may be found in Christ, not in some sexual desire. Yeah. We, we all struggle with, with sinful desires. But for us to recognize that that, that is in our flesh and that our new identity is in Christ Jesus and his righteousness and that because of that we are children of God and to be able to take that message to a world that is lost mm-hmm. and through a lot of these government mandates people that are fighting depression people that feel alone they feel hopeless in you know, a pandemic stricken world if I can put it that mm-hmm. way a political pandemic that is the ground is ripe. The, the fields are, are white for harvest. Mm-hmm. Are we willing as a church then to take a stand? Are we willing to take that gospel out to the people, though it may cost us our freedom? Mm-hmm. 
And I think really, really kind of central to that is just that what you said about identity, the world more and more is looking to find their identity and their sexual orientation in, in sexual pleasure. And, uh, and we have something much greater to offer them. Mm-hmm. We have the, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have God and his glory. You, you know, you're, you, you're looking for pleasure in all the wrong places. That's what sinful man does. Sin, sin is not nearly as uh, enjoyable as the glory of God. When God opens your eyes so that you can see the glory of God, you, you, we have the message that offers the greatest good to people in the world. And, and we, we, you know what, we need to almost model that for the world by showing them that our God is so great that we are even willing and joyful even to go to jail or whatever Amen. may come. We'll take anything and because we have this great and awesome God that we worship, you can take everything away from me, but I still have God. And so we, we, want, we want you, hearer, to know this God. And in order to do that, in order to come to him, you need to turn away from your sins. Lauren, you look like you have a verse that you want to read there. I was just thinking of that last part that you mentioned there, First Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. So we're thinking about the gospel, we're thinking about salvation, and this new identity being adopted into the, the family of God. But the Apostle Peter is encouraging the church who, who are also suffering and being persecuted at that time. He says, in this you rejoice, in this gospel, in this promise you rejoice, that, mm-hmm. that he just said this inheritance, this living hope, this salvation. You rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. He recognizes that temporal trials exist, sufferings exist, but he points us to our eternal hope before he addresses those trials. And in light of that eternal, undefiled, imperishable, unfading hope, our trials seem insignificant. Mm -hmm. Though at the time we're in them, they they can be big, but we we focus... Our, our sight not on the temporary trials, but on this eternal hope, this eternal salvation. And we look through that because we understand that the tested, and he says in verse 7, the tested genuineness of our faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Mm. So these trials, the suffering, these tribulations that we may face for standing truth and taking this gospel, this gospel of hope to a lost and dying world, though it's become criminal in many areas and seems to be moving that direction very fast. Yeah, that's great that it's going to, this, this testing of your faith is going to result in praise and glory to God. And uh, yeah, it, I would, so I would just say, you know, fellow brother pastors, fellow outspoken uh, Christians, let, let that testing, embrace the testing. Mm-hmm. And uh, going through that testing, that your faith is going to grow and it's going to result in praise and, and glory when we see Christ. And so we're talking about why stand. Well, that, that's kind of how stand. Well, by finding your joy in the Lord in, in this time. I think it's really important for, 
for all of us to really examine ourselves. Where is our joy? Is it is it in the world? And, and it creeps in. And, and all of a sudden we realize we are more attached to this world than we ought to be. We really, at this time, if we're going to stand, we have to find all our joy in the Lord. And then they can't do anything to us. Amen. Except help us refine that testing, that faith <laughs> that's worth more than gold. And even that we trust in the sovereign plan of God, in the will of God that um, what men intend for evil, he is using for good yeah. and to the glory of, of his name and, and the building of his kingdom. And so we trust in that work in the middle of suffering. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, we wanted to read a few scriptures um, uh, as far as just what does the Bible say about this. I mentioned earlier uh, Romans one eighteen, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So men in, their, in our sinful state, we, we suppress the truth. We, we know that, that God exists. We know that he created us. His invisible attributes are, are clearly seen, Paul says in verse 20. We look at the creation and we know there's got to be a creator. We look at man and woman made perfectly for one another. And, and we know that, that, that we had to have been created. There, there's too much complexity. We know that we weren't by, made by random chance. Even the, the laws of morality show us that, that we know that there was a lawgiver. So we know there was a creator. We know that there was a designer. We, we know that there was a lawgiver. But we suppress that truth in unrighteousness. We don't honor God. We don't give thanks to him, Paul says in verse 21. And, and because of that, because we, we worship, as Paul says, the creature rather than the creator, because we, we refuse to worship God and we kind of stubbornly go our own way, because we do that, God gives us over to our base lust, to the, to the passions of our flesh. And so Paul says in verse 24, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to dishonor their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And so there's this process here of suppressing the truth and unrighteousness and not worshiping God and not being thankful and then God gives us over. And he gives us over to all kinds of sins in Romans chapter 1. And, and one of those sins is the sins of, of homosexuality. And, and I don't know if we want to say like lesbian and gay types of homosexuality. Uh, Paul says in Romans one twenty six for for this reason, because they didn't worship God, because they weren't thankful, because they didn't honor him, because they suppressed the truth and unrighteousness, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And he said, then it goes on, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. And so we see there that, that God gives people over to not just homosexuality and, and, and other sins, but, but really to all sins. It, it's, an, it's an evidence of a, of a debased mind 
to choose sin over such a great God as, as our creator. But that's where we are. That's what we need to be saved from. And of course, the gospel is the power of God. He's going to say, or he had said in, in verse 16, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And so we need to preach a gospel that will save people from these sins. Mm-hmm. So that, that, you know, that's kind of, that's, that's where, where this sin comes from. And then I, I wanted to look at Genesis chapter 1 where, where all of this really begins. Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So there we see man is made in the image of God, men and women, male and female. When, when God created us, he made us male and female. And he made us both male and female in his image, in his likeness. And this is where the dignity of man comes from. We were created by God, not just like the animals, but above the animals. We're the only ones that, that are made to reflect the image of God in the world. And so we're to, we're to show God in the world. We've been designed by God to reflect his glory, his greatness, his goodness. And that's what makes us special. That's what makes us above the animals. And it's this, this identity that we have by being created by God that, that is the basis for human dignity. The scripture is just so clear. We've, we were made male and female, different, both made in the image of God, but both created different. And then, and then we see a little more detail of that in Genesis chapter 2. And I, I guess we could look at verses 18 to 24 there. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And so here we see God making man and uh, man is made as the the leader man was made before the woman but there wasn't a helper suitable for him he he names the animals he has kind of this uh, authority over the animals and uh, and then from the man so of the same flesh of the man the woman was made and and they were made for one another man for the woman and woman for the man man was to be the leader and protector, and the woman was made by God to be a helper. Uh, different roles, but equal dignity, both made in the image of God. And God brought this couple that was literally of the same flesh, and he, he made them one flesh in this marriage union. And this is the way that God has designed 
us to be, man and woman. This is the first wedding in Genesis 2.24. The man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And of course, later on, we learn in the New Testament that this one flesh relationship between a man and a woman was to uh, was designed to reflect the image or the, the relationship between Christ and his church, that Christ is the leader of the church and we are to submit to his leadership, to joyfully follow him, that he is our, our savior and, uh, and all of what Christ did for us in, in giving himself up for us, dying on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, all of what, what Christ did is reflected in the marriage relationship as a man loves his wife and as the woman submits and follows the the leadership of her husband. And so we see here uh, a beautiful design by God that he made man and woman. He said in, in, in verse 31 of chapter 1 that it was very good what he had made. And this very good creation of, of man and woman, it's only in, in the covenant safety of that relationship that God has permitted sexual relations and outside of that covenant marriage relationship outside of that one flesh relationship god has prohibited that by his good design and so um this is what this is what we need to embrace we need to embrace god as our creator and live according to who he has made us to be in our in our biology in, in the in the male and female creation that we are I think that's really all I wanted to just say about about biblical um, sexuality, the the way that we've been created. Th- this is what we this is what we need to accept if we're going to come to salvation through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you were going to read then from First Corinthians six, Lauren. Yeah, we talk about these sins, these sins of the flesh, and I think it's important to note too, you know, that we're not trying to offer some kind of moralistic gospel something you know where we're telling people as well you know just stop having these temptations or these urges or you know stop sinning stop living in this sin you know it's wise to not sin mm-hmm. it, it is wise to to obey god but to simply stop sinning stop living in a particular sin doesn't save us it doesn't offer us salvation yeah and so it's important, you know, in we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Apostle Paul writes, starting in verse, verse uh, 9 here, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? The unrighteous, that is who we all are. Not, none are righteous, no, not one. So we will not inherit the kingdom of God. He, he continues, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And let's just, let's just talk about that for a minute. So what Paul's saying here is that unless you are changed, mm-hmm. you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You, you will not go to heaven is pretty much how we, we think about it. The unrighteous, people who, who don't live godly, um, who don't live righteous in these ways that he lists, sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, those people won't inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that does not mean, like you said, really important point. It's, it, we're not talking about morality. We're not talking about pick up your bootstraps and stop being a, 
a, a thief and, and a greedy and a drunkard and a reviler. No, we were all unrighteous at one point, but unless we're transformed from that and turned from that, we can't be saved. And Paul says, I don't want you to be deceived about that because there's some people who would tell you that you can be those things and still go to heaven. Yeah. Well, it's not true. But the good news is in the next verse. The Apostle Paul says, and such were some of you. And, and I think, too, it's important to note here, these things, it's not that once you're saved, you'll never sin again or even uh, be tempted with some of these or, or even commit some of these sins. And therefore, right away, your, your salvation is forfeited. No, but this is, again, speaking of our identity in Christ, right? We, we were these things. This is who we were. This defined us. And some and such were some of you, the Apostle Paul says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Those things no longer define who we are. Yeah. Our and position in Christ, our sanctification, our justification, our status in Christ is what offers us this righteousness. And like you said, there's a change that happens. We were such were some of you mm-hmm. but no longer yeah we are a new creation in christ and, and i think this would be our plea to everyone listening to this from from government officials th- that that are out there that that they might come to this salvation of the lord jesus christ to everyone struggling with these sins of of uh sexual identity and homosexuality and, and whatever else it may be and anyone else in any other sin that may be listening to something as this podcast you know our plea is to turn to christ repent of your sin acknowledge your your sinful state your unrighteousness and turn to him and place your trust in the work and person of Jesus Christ for your salvation, because that is the only way that we can be saved. Yeah, that's really that's really good, Lorna. The Corinthians were were characterized by those sins at one point. They were homosexuals, they were thieves, they were greedy, they were drunkards, they were revilers. They were those things, but now there's been a transformation and they they were washed, sanctified. That is, they were cleansed of their sin. That's the idea of being washed. They were, they were made holy. We all are and were sinners and deserving of God's wrath. But your sins can be forgiven through Jesus Christ. You can be washed. Amen. You can be changed. You can be justified. To be justified means to be declared righteous. Even though you were ungodly and I was ungodly, we can be declared righteous based on what Jesus did. Jesus lived the perfect life that we never could have lived. And he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, to to bear God's wrath in our place. And if you would trust in him and him alone, if you would come to him by trusting in, in the person of Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven all of your sins. And that's the good news of the gospel. That's what we want all of the, the people listening to this podcast to know that, that justification and that salvation that exists through Christ. And so we invite you to come to Christ. And if you are Christ, then we just invite you to, to stand firm in this country, stand firm in this age, and live for the glory of of our Savior Jesus Christ. Reflect Him. Be an image bearer with a restored image. As as you're a, if you're a Christian, you're not only an image bearer, but you're now 
you have the, the stamp of Christ so that you can shine his glory to the world. And you can do that in, by just living for him in this world. And if you're married, you can do that by, by living out the, the marriage roles, man leading and the woman submitting to her husband in the way that God designed it. You can, you can glorify God by, by being one flesh in your marriage. And so we just call you to that and, and urge you to, uh, to come to Christ. Amen. With that, we will wrap up this episode, and we thank you again for tuning in and listening. And, and if you would like to, share, share this episode, and, and we pray that it will be edifying and helpful to, to you all. And once again, if you want to hear more of the Abide in the Word podcast, you can go to the Christian Podcast Community, and you can find the Abide in the Word podcast there, as well as many other great biblical-based Bible truth podcast for your edification. With that, we thank you again for listening, and may God bless you all.